HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. This is our first show of fall. It's September 7th, 2021. And uh, I'm going to call this episode the Beer Geek All-Stars because uh, we're actually going to talk about beer today. And we're not going to talk about ingredients or other things and issues in the beer world. We're just going to talk about beer. So let's have our guests introduce ourselves. Let's start with Sean. Sean Lawson of Lawson's Finest Liquids in Waitsfield, Vermont. Great. And Kevin? Hi, Kevin Kane, uh, Casket Beer, beer writer based in uh, New York. Well, uh, talking about beer geeks, you know, 10, 11 years ago, for me going up to Cooperstown, to Belgium comes to Cooperstown, you know, one of the coolest small breweries uh, in Vermont was Lawson's Finest. And, you know, it's, it's the kind of beer that, that you always talked about. It was back when you could only get Vermont beers in Vermont, or if you were lucky, your friend might have worked at a bar like Blind Tiger and and, and brought you a taste. Um, Sean, you know, you, you guys have come so far. And what I love seeing is we had you, we got to talk to you earlier this year, but just to see how you're, you're starting to put out all your specialty brands that used to just be in Vermont, and you're, you're putting them out in your, in your nine-state distribution. You want to just tell us about the, a little bit of that growth? Because I'm right now drinking the new Kiwi, the double IPA. And I, it's outstanding. So, excellent. Well, that's what I brought along uh, this afternoon, Jimmy, to uh, enjoy myself is the Kiwi Double IPA, and it's part of our brand calendar for 2021. Uh, this is the second year that we've rolled out six different releases over the course of the year. Every other month uh, that we brew uh, in Waitsfield, Vermont, at our brewery here, uh, we don't have a huge capacity here, but enough for these limited releases to send out some to every state in our territory, which is all of New England, all of New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And uh, it's really exciting to get to share these specialty beers with fans out across uh, 
our territory. So uh, it's been an intentional move to at least get a, a taste of these beers out to the rest of the market. They've gone really well. Our, our distribution partners are thrilled by that. And we'll, we're working on putting the final touches on next year's calendar um, that we'll be sharing with our wholesalers at our summit uh, next month when they come uh, to Vermont virtually again this year uh, to join us and talk about plans for the next year ahead. Yeah. T- tell us more about this kiwi because to me it's just it tastes like a super bright, fresh double IPA. And I'm already halfway through the can, so <laughs> I might be in the can. <laughs> well, uh, kiwi is a nod to the source of the uh, the hops. The New Zealanders refer to themselves as kiwis. And so it's got a, a big dose of Nelson Sullivan and Pacific Jade. The Nelson brings uh, this vinous character uh, a fruity uh, white grape style uh, aroma and flavor uh, to the beer. And then the uh, Pacific Jade, uh, which has a nice uh, spicy and earthy element that, that helped ground and round out the beer. And uh, you know, some people describe it as citrusy, a hint of orange. Uh, and, you know, some of the Southern Hemisphere terroir, if you call it that, is it's hard to describe. It's hard to pin down. For me, I know it when I taste it, when I smell it. And I just, I have a hard time describing it. Well, what makes it different than the Pacific Northwest tops? And it's je ne sais quoi, which is not <laughs> from uh, New Zealand, but uh, I don't know. Um, but maybe others could really pin that down. But I think it's, of course, the growing conditions, the soil, the, the location in the world where they are. Um, they're really beautiful hops to work with. And I was over in the tap room this afternoon uh, looking for some folks that I was uh, given a tour for. And I chatted with a gentleman who was at the taps asking for a recommendation. Uh, and he, I pointed out the kiwi as one of our limited releases. And he, so he asked me that beer. He said, goes, the, that's not a New England IPA. I said, no, it's a New Zealand IPA. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. And you know, what's fun about it is that um, it, it's good beer. And also going up to Waitsfield. So you, you guys uh, reopened the tap room uh, when? This summer because of COVID? Yeah, we, we had the tap room. We were closed uh, inside for the inside tap room. Uh, from March 15th of uh, last year, 2020, through uh, early June. June 1st, actually, we reopened the tap room for inside service. And fortunately, we were able to get the outside open uh, last summer. Uh, so we had a nice run from uh, from June through uh, the end of October, and then it got too cold. And so uh, it was really a thrill to get the tap room uh, reopened for inside service. We, we were so, slowly ramped up our capacity over the course of the first uh, four to six weeks to add more seating. Uh, we started with reservations only, uh, and then we, we gradually opened it back up to just walk in, but we still have a bit more limited capacity. We're doing seats only, so you have, uh, table seating. And, uh, you know, we used to let folks in until we hit the fire code capacity. And it's a, it's a bit less than that now, but it does provide for some nice spacing uh, between tables. And it's a, 
it's a really comfortable level. That's probably one of the changes that'll endure from the pandemic is lowering our overall capacity in the tap room uh, so that it doesn't get as crowded as it did at times in the past. Saturdays, especially during the ski season, um, could, could get pretty crowded during in the tap room to the point of it being you know, potentially uncomfortable for some folks. And today, um, having a little bit more space is a good thing for everybody. Yeah, I, I feel like that might be the general rule going forward is uh, whether it's six feet of distance or just some general space. Um, you know, Sean, I always wanted to ask you, I never knew where you're from. Where, where did you grow up? Because I'm going to guess at your your accent. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been in Vermont long enough for some of the local dialect to have worn off on me, but I'm a Jersey boy originally. I grew up in New Jersey. I got hooked on Vermont early as a kid. My grandmother had a lake house up here on uh, uh, Lake Maury in uh, Fairley, which is in the upper White River, uh, Connecticut River Valley. And so... Um, I, and my uncle was a professor at the University of Vermont in psychology for many years. So then we started coming up and skiing in southern Vermont, and, and I got hooked and ended up going to the University of Vermont, and I was, I was sold for life. Uh, so that's, that's a short version of, uh, of my story of, of where I came from and, and how I ended up in Vermont. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to jump over to Kevin. So sure. just, just so that our listeners know, Kevin is at Casket Beer. And the last few years, I've noticed him as first someone that shares my palate. I love his posts on Instagram, and, and he's writing some great articles for Porch Drinking and this other craft beer site. Um, Kevin, when did you start writing about beer? And and what, what informs you? Because I, I think whenever I see your posts, I'm like, your palate's right on, and that's that's why I wanted to have you on with Sean. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we definitely share a lot of uh, similarities I've noticed over the years, which is something I've always appreciated, uh, you know, about what you're doing. Um, so I, I had a short-lived blog uh, back in 2014, um, but I started this quote-unquote casket beer effort uh, in the end of 2018, I think. And the whole um, – I've been into beer uh, – since about 2000, 2001, I worked, I worked for about a half a year at, at Omegang uh, in upstate New York. And that really was, you know, uh, a, a great experience. Um, but I started this latest effort to kind of focus on, um, you know, kind of like the Hummler beers, the kind of beers that people don't, you know, um, not all the hype. Um, but one of the things, you know, that that Jimmy, that you and I shared, I know we're not supposed to, get, you mentioned this at the beginning, we're not supposed to get in, but I can't help myself, is, is ingredients. And you and I really, you know, I think malt in particular have an interest in that. But I'm, I'm currently sipping on the, the Scrag Mountain Pills. And uh, so I was just curious, on the can, it says that, that, uh, that you use the, um, the local water there. Do you modify that at all for this beer? Uh, that beer, we hardly touch at all. We add a little bit of calcium because it's a soft water source. So it doesn't have, uh, it has very little in the way of minerals, um, hardness, and the calcium is a little bit low on it. Calcium is essential to the, uh, to the mash uh, enzymatic process. And so that we just give it a light touch of a little bit of calcium. Otherwise, that's uh, straight from the ground uh, through a carbon filter and into our kettle, into the wow. mash. Kevin, what do you think of that pills? Have you had it before? Yeah, I have. And uh, I, I love it. It's, um, you know, it's just, it, it's subtle. It's very well executed. And it's got like, and I, I attribute it to the water, I think, but uh, it's just got this great mouthfeel on it um, that, you know, I think is, 
you know, and I think you're, you're shooting for more of like a Czech style Pilsner. And I think, you know, you, it, it's, uh, you can definitely get the gist of that from, uh, you know, taking, taking a sip of this. You know, Sean, and like, it seems like the last year or the last two years, you guys have, have kind of gone through this really cool revolution where you've put out Scrag Mountain Pills and some other beers. You got, you got the Kiwi coming out. Um, do you have the same crew or are you like doing like new kinds of research or what's going on? Well, we have, it's a great question, Jimmy, because three years ago, uh, a little over three years ago, we, it was just, it was five of us, including myself and my wife. So we had three employees and in the fall of 2018, we're coming up on the third anniversary was when we finished uh, building our new production brewery and our tap room here in Waitsfield, Vermont. And we never had a home for Lawson's Finest before. You know, there wasn't a place where people could go and get a Lawson's Finest uh, on tap at the brewery. Uh, we didn't have a retail store. Uh, the original brewery was up at my house in Warren. Uh, <laughs> and then I partnered with Two Roads to start producing Sip of Sunshine and the Super Session series. And that enabled us to grow uh, and so those same three people uh, are with us today. And then, but we added like 50 more here at the brewery. But most of the team, t- uh, the team in the brewery uh, here in Waitsfield is largely the same. Um, Scott Shirley is our brewing director. He came to us with a couple decades as a head brewer at uh, uh, Harpoon and Long Trail before that. And uh, so we, you know, it's, we have a system of coming up with new beers that they work their way up through. Um, sometimes we just have our ideas and other times they work their way up through our pilot system where any, any of our staff can propose an idea for new beers. We'll brew it on our one barrel pilot, which is here in Waitsfield. Uh, we'll, if it, if it has some traction or if we if it's really good, we'll put it on tap over in the tap room, uh, gauge some reaction from the fans. And then we'll scale it up to the seven barrel brewery, which is the original, um, brew house up in Warren and then we'll we'll bring it down on tap and um if it if we decide it's a winner uh we'll we'll send, we'll put it into the queue for for our beer calendar and for packaging and there's two routes for that one might be a Waitsfield we call them Waitsfield one-off and so those are beers that we brew and package and they're only sold here um, at our tap room and retail store. And then the others make it uh, out for wider distribution in that brand calendar. And we just do six of those a year, as I mentioned earlier. Um, the Kiwi of, of which is the, the latest for the fall. Um, speaking of which, I'm going to crack mine open because I haven't had we, a we sip need, of it yet. We needed that sound. And, then, and <laughs> Kevin, for you, like, like, I just love seeing your beers in the market, like in New York City, because... Like I, you know, you know, for so long it was just this little tiny brewery out of your house, and you had to go to Vermont. And I remember guys like Worthy Burger, you know, m- might have had it on tap. Um, d- Kevin, wh- how do you perceive? Because you're a little younger than me, how do you perceive the the Lawson's Finest brand? Well, yeah, I'm a little li- younger than you, but I'm still probably uh, older than a lot of other craft beer drinkers out there. I don't know. I've, I've, I've been going to Vermont for a very long time. Um, uh, similar to Sean, I had family, uh, up in Vermont when I was younger. So I spent a lot of time going to Vermont, you know, all, all my life pretty much. And, uh, also snowboards. So I spent a lot of time going up there. And, um, I mean, Lawson's to me has always been this fantastic brand. I mean, it's always a, a high quality product. It's one of those beers to me that, you know, you show up at a party with, uh, you know, 
sip of sunshine and nobody's going to be upset about that. It's like, you know, I, I personally hold it up there with like, you know, Sierra Nevada pale ale. It's, it's something that's reliable. If I'm ever in the store and I'm indecisive, it's something that I know I can go to and, and count on. And it's, it's always going to be really good. Um, I also think it's very interesting, you know, watching uh, your your brands, and I'm totally excited to see it moving into different states. You know, similar to Allagash, when I see Allagash pop up in other markets, and how excited people get, you know, I, I know that that's going to be the same thing with Lawson's, and it's super cool to see people in other states, um, you know, get really excited about about you popping up. And uh, what, one of the things that interests me, Jimmy, I hope you don't mind me jumping into it, is is like because I'm into beer history as well, and um, your use of, of maple, uh, you know, you've, you've, I think, I would assume you've been doing that from the beginning. And that's something that I believe historically was used going back, you know, like into the 1800s in Vermont. Um, so it's interesting to see, uh, you know, with, with the popularity of adjunct beers, um, you know, you've been using, using maple as an ingredient for a while. So I'm curious, you know, how, how your maple beers have, um, if they fluctuated in popularity over the years, if they've become more popular recently. And um, I assume you're probably gearing up for, for some, uh, some releases in the next few months with, with that. So curious about that. Oh, good question, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, maple goes, it's deep in our uh, roots here in Vermont. And also uh, for Lawson's finest, I, I brewed with maple syrup uh, for many years as a home brewer before um, launching Lawson's Finest Liquids. As a matter of fact, the very first uh, batch of homebrew that I made, uh, it's going to date me. That's why my hair is all gray. Uh, <laughs> ni- 1990 was my first batch of homebrew. Um, and I brewed a batch of uh, maple wheat ale because there were a couple of maple beers uh, brewed here in Vermont that I really enjoyed and aspired to create something uh, like that, especially the Vermont Pub and Brewery had a really nice maple beer uh, that I enjoyed back in the late 80s. And so I was inspired by that to, to brew with maple. And then also to do something uh, that goes back much further in Vermont lore and Vermont history, and that is sat beer. And so, uh, Kevin, I encourage you to look up the story on NPR. Uh, it, on, on, it, it aired on NPR, but it's a Vermont public radio story. So on VPR, the story about sat beer that aired um, a few years ago, and it's got some of uh, the recordings from the Vermont Folklore Center uh, interviewing old-time farmers about the sap beer they used to make in the back in the day, and they would age it in wooden barrels. And as one um, as one farmer said, "Well, some of it didn't come out right. It would be all stringy." so i assume that it meant that it was infected or that it was you know contaminated with some some wild organisms and it got thick and stringy um but that's a really fun tradition uh and is actually one of the beers that i'm most proud of here at lawson's finest uh which is our sap beer our maple triple uh it's won uh three times at the world beer cup and once at the great american beer fest in the specialty ale category and i take maple sap. I work with a local sugar maker, uh, which is a farmer that makes maple syrup, and they boil it down um, about a quarter of the way to syrup. So maple sap starts out at about two to three percent sugar when it's coming out of the tree. Uh, To make maple syrup, it's concentrated to 67 percent sugar. 
I have them uh, boil it down to about 15% sugar. So it's like 15 Play-Doh if you're a brewer. And then I use that liquid to mash in uh, with the beer. So I replace the mash water uh, with that sap and I reserve enough to sparge with. And so it's it's all maple all the time. Uh, and it delivers a really intense maple uh, experience uh, in the bottle and in the glass. And then uh, true to tradition, uh, I age it in oak barrels for uh, a full year. Um, it starts out as a very high gravity beer. Uh, about the wort is about uh, 28 to 30 Play-Doh, uh, depending on it varies year to year. And then uh, the finished beer will come out of the barrel at about. Uh, we, we age it in maple liqueur barrels, and it'll come out typically right around uh, 12%. It goes in around 10, 10 and a half, and then it picks up about uh, one and a half to 2% ABV uh, sitting in the barrel as it evaporates a bit and it picks up some of that maple liqueur spirits and it, uh, it delivers that extra layer of maple flavor there. So maple beers have been something that have always been near and dear to my heart. And as a, as a matter of fact, next week is our first batch of the season of our Faced in Maple Imperial Stout. And so without going on too long, I can answer one of your other questions, Kevin, that is, have they, you know, what about the beers over time? Have they, has maple, has they become more popular, less popular? And that's a beer that I've been brewing as a home brew uh, since 1995. It was my first ribbon winner at the Green Mountain Mashers uh, annual homebrew competition. And it was, I think it used to be more popular, more sought after. And then in today's day and age of uh, pastry, stouts and as beers I think generally on that high gravity end have become more and more sweet and had more adjuncts and specialty ingredients um, it doesn't a maple imperial stout doesn't quite stand out from the crowd as much just my my guess my hunch we still have a lot of fans that are favorite uh, you know of that beer out there um, and it still sells well but not quite at the brisk pace that it that it used to years ago when uh, you know those pa- before before the time of pastry stouts Sean let me take let me take a step back and Kevin you can yeah. jump in after me but um, Sean so with maple like I'm really glad you mentioned sap because before you said that I was going to say well do you brew with sap or with maple syrup is a maple beer going to fall into the same problem category as a pumpkin where people expect spices even if there's no maple if there's no pumpkin or squash in it so for you like how did you determine that that you wanted to reduce your sap to 15 percent you know sugar and stuff like that because when, when I, I've recently tasted some saps I've tasted birch sap and maple sap and it's like this beautiful water with just like a hint of of, of, of something um, it's tell me more about that process of, of learning how to brew with sap it's pretty cool so so many layers there Jimmy so many layers so um, it does maple does fall into that uh, sort of that challenging category of ingredients where the flavor doesn't typically come through in the finished beer because it's it's all sugar. And so the sugar being a simple sugar ferments out. And so it's difficult to get that maple flavor to carry over into the finished beer. So trial and error is how I figured it out over time. So with beers that I add maple syrup, we add maple syrup at the end of the at the end of the at the end of the boil. I've experimented with a lot of different additions end of the boil plus in fermentation or in secondary fermentation. 
I've used it to prime, uh, you know, and bottle condition beers. But I found the use at the end of the kettle um, is sort of the most effective at carrying over the maple flavor I'm looking to achieve. And what's key in formulating or creating the recipe for a maple beer is that you use uh, a malt bill that will lend some enough sweetness to the finished beer that gives you that impression that there's that there's syrup in the beer and just enough maple flavor carries over that you get the sense that you're tasting a bit of maple syrup in the beer because you don't get any sweetness in the residual finished beer um, from the maple syrup. The sugar literally all ferments out. So that's the syrup approach. And then the sap approach um, was again, trial and error. If you just use straight sap at that two, 3% sugar, you don't get any maple character in the finished beer. It really, none of it carries over. And so I tried out a few different ways and then looking into the lore, into the history, that was one way that farmers would use what they call the last runnings. So at the end of the season, uh, you're boiling down the last of the sap. You've, you've hit the end of the run. As soon as the buds break open on the trees, the, the sap um, becomes more uh, bitter and it's not suitable for making syrup anymore. And so when you get to the end of the, the good sap, you boil down as far as you can in the pan. And then there's a certain point you can't go any further without burning the pan. You have to pull it off and either reduce it further in a small pan uh, or you find another use for it. And some sugar makers would make sap beer with it. And so that's how I started using that concentrated maple sap was just trial and error. And I went to my neighbor, Paul Marble, uh, who I helped sugaring back in the old days, back in my old days. <laughs> and so I said, hey, Paul, you know, at the end of the season, can I get your last runnings? And he's I, well, I asked him first, what do you do with them? He's like, I dump them on the ground. <laughs> I was like, wait, no, 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 don't dump them on the ground. Can I come and bring some some kegs and, and fill them up? He's like, sure. And so I did that and I made beer with it and man, it did it work. And uh, then when I tried putting it in, um, in, in an oak barrel um, with a maple liqueur, it took the maple character to a whole nother level. So that was sort of, those were the approaches I used with, uh, with maple trial and error to get to, to where we are today and um, with a few different ways of achieving that maple character. Ke Kevin, is, is that more than you expected? <laughs> no, it, it's awesome. I mean, I like I said, I'm into you know the the history of it. It's it's uh, it's. I'm gonna I'm gonna check out that story and then maybe have to write a bit more about this in the future. I, yeah, I the was, accents are classic on that. Uh, the recordings of some of the old timers that they have talking about Sapir. Sorry to interrupt, Kevin. No, no, that's all right. That's all right. I have uh, the. There's a book Vermont beer. I'm sure you, you're aware of it. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a there's a recipe in there and I think it's like from like the early 1800s. And they also mention, I think adding spruce or, uh, you know, adding some spruce in there to, to the mix with them. And I, that's, yeah, I make a spruce tip beer, uh, also a few different ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back to sap. I'm, I'm just happy you talked about sap because remember about 10 years ago, I had a friend, he spent, he was a barbecue guy and he spent, uh, the winter up in Vermont. And he, and he said, we can't, he had an event and he said, I'm, I'm going to come and cook a pig in sap. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And I didn't realize that the sap was basically just a liquid and it was scented and beautiful. And I expected the sickly sweet thing and it really informed me. So go for sap, bro. <laughs> I like it. 
Um, yeah, it's a, you could drink it straight. It is the most beautiful beverage. There's a couple of them out on the market that uh, that can it and carbonate it. And um, it's, of course, got all the health benefits of, uh, you know, trace minerals and, uh, and you know, antioxidants or whatever there is in maple syrup. It's a magical thing. Maple sap. Yeah. And on another, like, kind of brewing geek thing, um, what was I going to say? I just forgot. <laughs> I had the Kiwi double, man. I'm, I'm losing it. But um, sap, what else? What, what's the next question, Kevin? We went well, from maple to sap. Well, I, I just uh, I just cracked the uh, little sip. And um, I've had a few already, not, not today, but uh, over the last few weeks, and I've been loving it. And, um, you know, when I uh, when I bought it, I didn't look at the ABV, and it's I mean it is an IPA. It does say IPA, so it's not surprising. But um, it's six point two, um, which is still a healthy healthy ABV. But for me, for someone like me, as I'm getting older, it's it's a welcome um, you know alternative to sip of sunshine. Which you know, as I get older, the, the punch it packs seems to be a little bit stronger. Um, so, I mean, I, I've been loving it and, uh, I'm just curious. I don't know much about the differences in, in the recipe of this versus uh sip of sunshine. So just curious if you could let me know a little bit about that. It's almost the exact same recipe. We just scaled back, um, the, you know, the, the ratio of everything, uh, what the goal was with little sip was to achieve a beard, just as you described, a little bit, pack a little bit less of a punch, a little bit lower ABV, um, a bit more sessionable or a few more occasions that uh, that you might have a little sip, that a sip of sunshine might be a little bit, little bit much. And uh, so it uses the same, essentially the same recipe um, with, the, with the malt bill scaled back uh, to achieve that 6% alcohol instead of 8% with the sip of sunshine. And people have been asking for an IPA like that uh, for years from us, something that has that tropical fruit forward character that sip of sunshine has, um, but uh, but more in that American IPA uh, ABV strength. Do you, do you consider uh, sip of sunshine like a, your, your flagship? Yes, that's our number one beer. It's our it's our flagship, and uh, it continues to grow seven years after we created it. And I hope that uh, I appreciate the uh, comparison to Sierra Nevada uh, uh, Pale Ale, a beer I greatly admire. And you know, my greatest hope for a Sip of Sunshine is that it, um, you know, is that it's a benchmark for a an East Coast or a, a Northeast uh, brewed IPA for, for many years to come, that it's a, it's a standard. So um, we're really proud of that beer. And we're, I just am, you know, grateful and flattered by how many people come up to me and they're, that's not a, my, one of my favorite beers. That's my very favorite beer. Yeah. And I, I am definitely, I mean, I love it. It's, it's a classic for me. I, I, I'm a little nostalgic with it. And, um, but for little sip to me, it's like almost like this is like a contender that could knock sip of sunshine off because it's you know it's it's a fantastic beer and you know like I said you know with the the lower ABV it's something that I can you know I definitely want more than one when I have it and that's harder it gets harder and harder with <laughs> sip of sunshine yeah. so um, you know just like I see this uh, this as becoming one that that people it becomes maybe more of the go to 
um, you know, if they're looking to knock a, knock a few back instead of just having one or two. I, I think we've got to tell everyone whether they're in Boston or New York, if, if you've got a good can lineup, you get a sip of sunshine, you should also carry a little sip, right? Right, Sean? Absolutely. We just uh, released the Little Sip IPA as a year-round beer to all nine states starting uh, this March. Um, so just uh, just about six months ago, and it's been gaining traction uh, steadily, and we've been really thrilled with the success that it's had so far. It's it's really helping to ha- helping us to have a great year in 2021. Wow. Okay, well, guys, we're gonna take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Become a member and supporter us at heritageradionetwork.org. All right, we're talking with uh, our Beer Geek All-Stars. we got Sean Lawson of Lawson's Finest and Kevin Kane of Casket Beer, which is one of my favorite uh, beer writers and beer Instagrammers right now. Um, we were talking about maple and sap, and we went through the Kiwi Double IPA for Lawson's Finest and the Little Sip. IPA. Let's talk more about like all the things you have coming out in the pipeline. I just love it. Not too long ago, let's say even a year ago, I was told that only certain beers are available in Vermont and, and including like the triple sunshine or the double sunshine. Um, how, how is this going for you that you, you can get every beer that we ever wanted is now going to be available in places like New York City? Well, I wouldn't say every beer you ever <laughs> wanted, but we're doing our best to get uh, some of our special beers out to all of our fans within uh, the range that we currently distribute to. And this year, we're going to cap off uh, the year with one of the most special beers that we've released out to all nine states, and that's Triple Sunshine. And that beer has only been available here uh, in Vermont at our Waitsfield location to date, with the exception of a few small shipments that we've sent out um, previously, but it hasn't been regularly distributed before. And that's uh, that's the Sunshine 
series taken uh, and turned up to 10.5. So it's a 10.5% uh, triple IPA. Um, it's part of the Sunshine lineup that started with Double Sunshine, which inspired the creation of Sip of Sunshine, uh, which then in turn inspired Triple Sunshine. Uh, and then finally, uh, Little Sip, uh, Little Cousin to Sip of Sunshine was born. And um, it's one of our, that's our most popular line of beers. And Triple Sunshine has been pretty steadily our number two seller here in Waitsfield, Vermont for um, our retail store right after Double Sunshine. That's another beer that you can only get uh, here in Waitsfield, Vermont. So it's going really well. The, the limited releases have been received really um, nicely out in the marketplace. And we're looking forward to bringing some, some new ones and really some fan favorites. So, you know, we, we're talking about the Kiwi Double IPA today. Um, it's new to folks uh, throughout the territory, except those that have come to Vermont and tried it before. Uh, because it was a very limited release, but it's a fan favorite. It's a beer that people have been looking for, asking for, um, for years since I was brewing it uh, on a very small scale in those 22 ounce Let me go back for yeah. our listeners. Like, you know, yeah. 10 years ago, th there were certain beers coming out, and I'll say Hill Farmstead and, 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 and Alchemist and, and Lawson's Finest that you could really only get in, in Vermont. And, um, the mystique of that was was it was a very special time. So much has changed since then. Like New York State, since 2014, craft beer laws have have evolved. There's been so many more more breweries everywhere. You guys are expanding. What is the mystique of Vermont? And and because I know you you grew up, you spent time there. Kevin spent time there. I've always said like Vermont is this place where you just say Vermont and everyone gets it. Um, is that this you, that make you yeah, want to you say? Yeah, you stumped. <laughs> yeah, you stumped me, Jimmy. So it's a. I don't. I call it a little sprinkle of magic, <laughs> and um, there is something about Vermont that um, it's really hard to uh, to pin down. Uh, you feel it when you're here. I think it's uh, part um, just the care and attention to detail that makers put into their products, whether you're a, a brewer uh, or a cheesemaker or you're in the crafts or you're an artist. Uh, you know, so there's there's a lot of care into it. It's a beautiful place, but hey, there are a lot of beautiful places in the world to live, uh, but that helps with the inspiration. Um, community is really strong here in Vermont, so the, the interconnectedness of our local communities um, you know, help support small businesses. So if, you know, if I, if I had the answer, Jimmy, I'd be on to something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why it's so authentic because some, sometimes you, you don't want to see someone pitch a venture capital idea and two months later have a brand of like co coconut vegan crackers or something. But um, you've definitely evolved. Kevin, what's your take on it? Well, I was just going to say that uh, a friend of mine was just in, he, he now lives in Hawaii, uh, but his, his son goes to, to college in Burlington. And so I met up with him uh, about a week and a half ago. And I, uh, I met up with him upstate, upstate New York and he had a cooler. He said, Hey, go grab a beer. I brought, I brought a bunch of beers back from Vermont. And so I go to up the cooler and in the cooler is uh, some foam, some frost and sip of sunshine. And, you know, I was super excited to see that, uh, you know, among some of the, the newer breweries, he was also grabbing some of the classics. That's great. Hey, um, so if I go up to visit you, Sean, what are some other places to, to, to get food and drink in your areas? Um, it's always good to give shout outs to others. 
Oh my gosh, there's so many great places uh, to get food and drink uh, here in Vermont, um, both here in the Mad River Valley and in the um, in the wider community. And um, it's hard to just pick a few because then I'll leave out everyone else. Um, but if you were going to go to eat uh, somewhere close by here, um, Hen of the Wood up in Waterbury is uh, an experience not to be missed. And if you can't get in there because they have a small dining room, um, they're, out, they're actually opening up a new location in, in Waterbury, um, which is where The Alchemist started and which is where now uh, Prohibition Pig is in their original location, another small brewery. Uh, and uh, they have a Burlington location also, so you can you can probably get a table uh, up there. Um, and then venturing up to Burlington, uh, one of my favorite places to go is, uh, is Zero Gravity, um, their brew pub. Uh, they've got, it's also a branch of American flatbread, uh, which was started here in the Mad River Valley. Um, and it's, uh, it's an artisan uh, flatbread pizza that's made with love and you can taste it. Um, they're, they are so good. You know, and, Sean, is it, let me just, I'm going to do yeah. t- uh, zero gravity. Yeah. Uh, was there a guy named James with a beard? <laughs> 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 Somebody. Yeah. I, I, there's so many breweries that I've met and, yeah. and interacted with, and I've never been there, but I, I think a zero gravity. I, I can't remember everybody, but you don't have any. <laughs> I'm not, it's not, it's not ringing a bell. So, um, they Paul Saylor is one of the, he was the brewer, uh, that, uh, that Paul, started, that's it. It was Paul. Started. He has Paul a beard. Saylor. He has he, a beard, doesn't he? Uh, Did, he, he doesn't these days, but he might have at, at one point in time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm only laughing because it, it's like, I mean, Kevin, take over, bro. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm on the Kiwi double IPA, but. You know, there's there's just so many good places to eat and drink up there. That's one of the greatest things about that area. But but uh, this time of year, though, I'm I'm thinking that you know everybody's got to to strap on their leader hose and endurance and head over to to Von Trapp. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and of course, um, you know, the Alchemist uh, in Waterbury was one of the inspirations uh, uh, for for me starting up um, Lawson's Finest. Uh, you know, I used to go to the brew pub there. Um, prior to, you know, this is before they started canning the heady topper and opened up their new, their new locations. And, um, so that's one of my, uh, favorites from, from way back when, but there, you know, when I started in 2008, there were about 18 breweries in Vermont and now there's over 70. And I, 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 I hardly know all of them, but I'm looking forward to trying more of them. Yeah. You know, I love hearing you talk about your, your homebrew days, Sean, um, you you really do have credit. Like I, I was going to ask you about your growth, but it it makes sense because you've really been doing this a long time. Um, just tell our listeners like when you went from being a home brewer to, to to trying to get into this business. You know, it was I started as a proof of concept. So I was uh, an environmental science major in college and. You know, I'm a little starry-eyed and naive. I thought, you know, I was going to be a part of saving the world. <laughs> you know, even in the 1980s, uh, climate change was was a real thing that uh, that some people took seriously, and uh, they kind of like I took notice, and I'm like, I want to be a part of, you know, making a difference in the world. Um, and so I, you know, I went into that uh, venture. 
I, um, I did field work for a few years and then, you know, forestry really, uh, you know, gained my interest and, uh, I got, I went back to UVM, got my master's in forestry and, you know, I worked in, um, you know, both research and then I got into the education side of it. I, I enjoy working with people and I started getting into outdoor education and all the while I was homebrewing. And by the time, you know, 15 years out of college, I, I had a good gig with benefits. I was working with the state of Vermont and the University of Vermont and the uh, on their um, forest monitoring uh, program. And but I was so avid about homebrewing, people kept encouraging me to start a brewery. And I was like, I worked in a couple of breweries right out of college out in uh, Breckenridge, Colorado, back when it was just a pub, Breckenridge Pub and Brewery, and down in Flagstaff when the Beaver Street Pub and Brewery opened. Um, and I kind of I could see that breweries were not only um, a fun place to, to be, but they were really tended to be busy and um, seemed like a great place to work and it seemed successful. So I, you know, I didn't really take people seriously when they're like, oh, you should open a brewery. Um, but after hearing it enough times and getting encouragement from family, I decided to um, give it a go as my homebrewing skills got better. And so I started out as really a proof of concept with a one barrel system back in 2008. And I also wanted to kind of see, I kept my day job, of course. I had benefits and good pay. And I was like, I'm not going to quit that on the spot. And so it worked out all right because the day I started selling the beer, I couldn't make it fast enough. It's only 30 gallons of beer at one time. So it's not that hard to do, uh, but it clearly had some traction and we started to get some publicity and people started writing about our beers and then taking them back to wherever they had visited um, Vermont from. And uh, things were going well. Beer Advocate was a thing and people started trading for our beer and talking about it in the forums. So I knew I was on to something. And after about a year, um, I quit my day job and dove into it full time because I was loving it. And I found working on it as a job uh, was even more passionate than work, you know, just as a hobby, as a home brewer. And so that really propelled me into the next couple of years of just brewing as much as I could on that tiny one one barrel system. It took me longer than I initially envisioned to expand. Um, it took me three years to get the next system in there, which was the seven barrel system. And on day one, that was too small. Also, I expanded the number of locations that we distributed to here in Vermont. And at the time, I was driving it all around uh, Vermont in my car, in the back of my car. So I'd, I'd brew a couple of days a week. I'd package and clean and keep the books the other couple of days a week. And then I'd drive around and make deliveries a day a week. Um, it was, uh, it's kind of hard to believe that that's where it all started um, to where we are today now in nine states and brewing in three different locations with that original location and our Waitsfield production brewery. Um, and then our, uh, our location down in Stratford, Connecticut at Two Roads where we produce the Sip of Sunshine uh, and our Super Session series and uh, some of our Little Sip IPA that goes out to Southern New England and uh, New Jersey and PA. Hey, Sean, so what was it you as a, as a brewer, as an owner, when you j made the jump to, to seven barrel system? And then also when you made the jump to, to brewing your cans out of two roads? What, what, oh, what, what? When, I got the, when I got the seven barrel system in, I was like, okay, now I actually have a brewery. I had a glorified home brewing operation um, before because it was literally steps away from my house um, <laughs> in an outbuilding that was only 280 square feet that uh, me and some friends and my wife pitched in on, on building. 
um, with a lot of sweat equity and very little money um, that we got started on. And when I got the seven barrel system in, I was like, okay, this is a brewery. You know, what I had before was home brewing. So it felt like I had made it. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, um, it was a, it was kind of stressful because I was like, well, I mortgage took out a second mortgage on the house to pay for this thing. It better work, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that and the, that took right off. And um, I was so pleased with how the quality of the beers uh, improved um, on a bigger system with better process control and just you know system that was really made for producing uh, beer, uh, not homebrew. And then. Uh, like I said, day one, it was not, you know, enough beer. And over the next couple of years, more and more people, distributors, retailers, customers kept asking um, for our beer. And I was saying no all the time. And that's what led me um, to explore uh, a partnership down at uh, Two Roads where we started contract brewing and then later, um, you know, formed an alternating proprietorship so we could, you know, incorporate, have our own, you know, it's our our own brewing license down there. And I was able to bring in my own ingredients process and um, create the beer uh, that we really wanted to that would uh, approximate the flavor profile and really the brand that I was brewing up here in Vermont. And that's what made it successful was staying true to brand um, for us. So it's been, it's been quite a journey, Jimmy. The, I'll tell you the hardest part was learning how to distribute beer. That was a whole nother business. I didn't know what I, what I was getting into. Um, but thankfully, uh, Vermont allows, uh, someone to own a brewery and a wholesale distribution company. So Sean, I was able did, did, yeah, you have, did you have a pickup truck? I had a Prius, so I used to I used to tout that we had the only 100% uh, hybrid electric delivery fleet in the wholesale <laughs> beer distribution business. <laughs> and I convinced the Vermont Department of Liquor Control to license a small corner of the, my basement in the house as my wholesale distribution center. Wow. And when, when Vermont comes to inspect, are they courteous and they give you notice and they, they call you up first? Um, Vermont is a very supportive state for business, I find. I mean, there's a lot of hurdles. Um, people complain that it's not a business-friendly state because of regulations or Act 250. Um, and there are some hurdles that help keep Vermont a beautiful state. But uh, Department of Liquor Control has always been good to work with. And that's a that's a testament to how I started, you know, when they came out to inspect the brewery. Um, he worked with me to set up the, the basement so that I could license it as a as a separate space for distribution because the brewery and dis and the distributor have to be completely separate. Um, and so, you know, putting locks on the doors down to the, down to the basement and the outside, um, you know, that, that helped me get, get set up and, and get started. No, th those things make a difference. One thing I want to ask you too, is just back to when you went to the seven barrel system, because there's so many people that whether they're home brewers or, or they've just, tried to go up a scale and, and brewing as a pro. What was something that you needed to do with your recipes, for example, uh, to go from this, the, the initial brewery to the seven barrel system? Can I just, just uh, to add on to that, were, is, is your packaging at that time, did you still, were you still doing bombers or did you go to camp yeah. at that time? Yeah, all 22 ounce bottles and, uh, and kegs. And prior to the seven barrel system, it was just all corny kegs, the soda kegs that home brewers would use with the two posts on it. Um, you know, and as the as the distributor, I would go into accounts that wanted to carry our beer and convert over a line to, you know, corny connections and uh, 
and they would ser serve our beer. So with the seven barrel system converted over to the um, typical Sankey, but the packaged beer was 22 ounce bottles until um, 2014 when uh, started canning uh, Sip of Sunshine uh, down at Two Roads. It's a good question. And, uh, yeah, what, so I I already lost it. The kiwi must uh, be just, kicking. Just, in. The yeah, kiwi just, must be kicking in. What was the I first part of your question? Jimmy? Just your perspective is that remember that time, and whether you had to modify oh, recipes. Yeah, scaling up. Um, it's not a linear progression. Um, so you can't just say, okay, it's seven times more, just times seven on everything. Um, so there was definitely some trial and error in there. And then once I got to the seven barrel system, I started doing more collaborations with other brewers. And that was really instrumental in learning how to scale beer on different systems and to different size systems and different size batches, um, which was really great. You know, like I mentioned, Paul Saylor, he was one of the um, one of the early collaborators up at Zero Gravity. They had a 10 barrel system and he helped me get to the Vermont Brewers Festival because I, I couldn't make enough beer on a one barrel system. So I took one of my recipes. We scaled it up to their 10 barrel system at the brew pub. Um, and that was a great learning experience. The beer didn't come out exactly like I wanted. It was way too bitter. Um, and then I, that helped me learn how to scale back the hops because we didn't just, you know, I knew we needed to scale it back. It wasn't a linear multiplier. It's a little easier with the malts. And then I did collaborations with Otter Creek on their um, 40 barrel system with Mike Gerhardt um, and several other breweries that collaborated with Maine Beer. I went out to California and worked with Patrick Rue out at the, out at the brewery. Um, and all those collaborations on different systems, different sizes, really helped set me up to uh, scale my recipe to the 100-barrel system down at Two Roads. Because I, I, I put that recipe together uh, myself, and we tweaked it on the first uh, five batches a little bit. Uh, but it's essentially been the same uh, ever since. Um, you know, we have to adjust for the ingredients each year because the, it's an agricultural product, both malt and hops, and they vary year to year. Um, so those collaborations and jumping up to the seven barrel system were instrumental in kind of learning how to scale recipes. So now we find it, it's not easy, but with the experience we have, um, it's relatively easy to go from the one barrel pilot up to the seven barrel um, R&D, you know, the Wizards Workshop up in Warren um, to the 40-barrel system here in Waitsfield. Um, it's pretty seamless. That's great. Hey, Kevin, uh, you got another question? Well, just as I'm, I'm, I'm sipping on the little sip, um, is, is that uh, at Two Roads as well, or are you doing up in Vermont? Um, we brew that beer in um, in both locations, which while I was initially reluctant to do that because I know the challenges of matching flavor profiles between um, two breweries. But ultimately, um, we decided with the we, we had already launched it in Vermont a year ago, and it just made sense to keep our Vermont and then northern New England production here. And then really looking at the water profile, because that was part of the decision in going to Two Roads, that the water uh, that they have in Stratford, Connecticut, is very similar to the water that I'm working with here in Vermont from a, a water chemistry um, consideration. It's soft, it's low in minerals, low in calcium. Uh, like not a lot of alkalinity or residual hardness. Is that the biggest and, challenge brewing, you know, at different facilities and different, different watersheds? I mean, to me, it's one of the biggest challenges is the difference in water. And then you have the differences 
in the equipment and the size batches um, and potentially the process used to uh, produce the beer. And I've been extremely pleased with how well we've been able to match the flavor profile between um, the two facilities. So uh, we, we do side-by-side -side comparisons of every batch that comes out um, from Waitsfield, uh, Vermont, and from Stratford, Connecticut. We sit down with a, a couple of cans of each. So each week, the batch that comes out, we compare those side by side, and I've been really pleased with how um, close they are. They're nearly indistinguishable. Wow, that's a, that's a great question, Kevin. Ba back to distribution, we're going to wrap it up soon. Um, you know, originally you were driving around in your electric Prius distributing in, <laughs> Ver in Vermont. Um What's a, a warning or a success story of working with a distributor in another state that you might want to share for some younger brewers? Um, well, first to watch out is that you really need to do your homework and think carefully because it's you're getting married, essentially, with franchise law. Um, once you uh, start distributing with, uh, with a wholesaler, um, it's really essential to ensure that they're aligned with your, uh, with your brand values and your goals and uh, where you want to go. I mean, today it's a completely, it's such a different world than when I started in 2008. And then as we expanded our distribution between 2014 and um, 2018 across New England and New York and then Jersey and PA. And so um, what I, early on, you know, I knew I wanted to keep the beer cold. It was really essential to me that it had to be kept cold. It had to be fresh um, in order to deliver that brewery fresh experience to our customers. And so we've got it uh, built into our contractual uh, obligations with our wholesalers that they have to keep um, our beer cold. The whole supply chain's gotta be kept cold um, right to the delivery. And so that's really important to know how you want your beer handled, how you want your brand handled, how it'll be represented. Um, and then on the plus side, you know, finding the right wholesaler is invaluable. They will really help you uh, build your business. Again, it's a different world out there today. I mean, craft beer is more competitive than ever, and we're facing a lot of challenges. The world is changing rapidly. Um, the overall trend in alcohol beverage is that beer is contracting slowly. It's a, it has been, it's, it's going to continue uh, to do that if we listen to the experts or the forecasters. Uh, and so um, it's, it's not easy. And so focusing on um, kind of sound practices, uh, attention to detail, and really ensuring that your beer is, uh, is the best possible quality that it could be without compromise are, are really important um, elements for anybody starting out or, ex or considering expanding their, their distribution out in, into the marketplace. That's great, man. I mean, if anything, I, yeah, when I want a beer, I want a good beer more than anything else. I want, I want to drink well. And next week, actually, we're doing our, our show in studio. We're going to talk about what it takes to get draft beer back up since so many places um, sh you know, on-premise places shut down last year for COVID. Um, Kevin, where do you get your beer? You, you, you live just north of the city, New York City. Um, are there a couple of shops that you buy your beer at? Uh, well, my, my go-to place is, uh, is a wonderful place called Beer Noggin in Bronxville, uh, near, not too far from me. 
uh, and and Tichicos. I know you know the folks from Tichicos. So uh, those are my spots. And then uh, halftime as well in the Marinick, which uh, is also the home of Deccan and Ailes. And they had a devastating uh, flood from the storm the other day. So, um, you know, everybody should uh, think about them right now, thinking about how they can support You know, them. I'm glad you brought that up. I saw that yesterday. I did could not believe it. I didn't know Westchester, first of all, had floods, but I saw the pictures. Deccan yeah. and Ailes. This, this was like, um, Sean, like back in 2011, um, whatever that hurricane was before Sandy. Sandy. Oh, Irene. The, the yeah. Irene wiped out. Um, isn't that what happened to Alchemist? And they wiped yeah. out that yep. parts of Vermont. Um, yep. Unbelievable. But Kevin, what do they have? A GoFundMe for Decadent? Uh, yeah, for Decadent, I think they have something up. And it's in the same facility as, as Halftime. So, yeah, whatever anyone can do for them right now. Uh, they they had at least like four feet of water in there. Yeah, that that's that's nasty. I remember that from Sandy and some of the distributors like Union Beer. The the staff had to go in with boots on and try to salvage uh, bottles and everything. Wow. Yeah. And Sean, last thing. So fall foliage. Um, yeah, come see us. <laughs> it's cold up there, but you guys still have a, a lot of things going on outdoors, don't you? Uh, we do. We'll, we're going to keep the beer garden open outside uh, as long as we can. Um, typically, you know, in pre-pandemic, we were, it was open all year. We just clear the snow off and um, we keep the fire bowls lit um, during the winter um, when it's busy, when there's a bunch of folks in. Uh, when when folks want to hang out outside, we light up the, the fire bowls. Those are our fire pits outside. And uh, especially during ski season, when people are all geared up, they hang out outside there. But fall foliage is uh, is just starting uh, here in Vermont, and it's a great time to come and visit. Um, and we'll we'll be we'll be waiting for you eagerly with a smile and some fresh beer. And so that peaks kind of like typically late September, uh, early October, but it's really good for at least a month. You know, from the middle of September to at least the middle of October or even later. Uh, than that and um, our menu is uh, is evolving all the time we do light fare we try not to compete with the local restaurants here directly so we don't do a full service restaurant and um, like we chatted about there's a lot of great places to eat um, around here that we'd love to send folks to like peasant right up the street is a uh, um, you know uh, uh, like peasant like a common uh, like Italian like uh, table fair. Chris does a wonderful job up there. I think I'm friends with him from New York, Chris Alberti, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Chris Alberti. Great guy. He, great he, guy. He does a he does a really fantastic job there. Um, so you know, we're open seven days a week here, with a few exceptions on uh, on holidays like Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and um, occasionally uh, we close a little bit early. So just be sure to check out our. Uh, social media uh, at Lawson's Finest, both on Facebook and um, and Instagram, and then uh, you know there's there's too much to say about the social impact program, um, Jimmy. You might have to have Karen, uh, my wife, on who heads up our uh, our SIP or our social impact program um, on another episode to talk about all the good things we do. But we're um, we're approaching uh, the million dollar mark in just the three years that we've been open here in Waitsfield with our. Um, with our giving campaign with uh, six different areas in our social impact program uh, and the Sunshine Fund is leading the way and that's really driven by our our guests who donate um, in lieu of tips at the tap room. So um, 
Uh, hats off to all of our visitors and guests that come to Waitsfield, Vermont, and who donate generously um, to support healthy communities, um, economic and uh, and food uh, security um, for people that are a little disadvantaged, and also um, sustainable recreation and conserving our natural resources here um, in the Green Mountain State. Wow. Well, Sean, listen, thanks so much for joining me and for all our listeners who are potential MBA or other business startup students. Remember, growth can be profitable and sustainable, and sometimes it just takes a little longer than you think. It might be more than a two-year venture plan. Um, Thank you so much. And Kevin, what's your... um, What's your latest article that we should read? Uh, I think the latest thing I did was a write-up on uh, an awesome new book by uh, British beer writer Matthew Curtis on his book, Modern British Beer. Um, so yeah, go check out that write-up. I did that, actually, that was on porch drinking. And uh, his book is is out now and available, and I highly recommend it. By any chance, does he also, is he Pellicle Magazine? Pellicle, yep, yep, that's him. That's him. So that's pretty great. Well, you guys are great. Sean and Kevin, thanks so much for joining me here on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks so much to our engineer, Armin Spingen, for uh, putting this all together. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, guys. Woo. Thank you. Oh, and sip. Thanks, Jimmy. All right. Sip and a sap, too. So make beer from sap. All right, guys. Thanks (laughs) so much. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Cinecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio is supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.